Hi, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of Alpine Intel's Savvy Adjuster Podcast, where we discover the property loss topics important to adjusters with the experts that know them best. I'm your host, Chris Nichols. Now, not only am I your host for today, but I'm also a senior account manager here on Alpine Intel's sales team and have been with the company since March of 2023. So just a, a bit about Alpine Intel and what you can expect from this podcast before we jump into today's topic, which is wind damage to asphalt shingles. So Alpine Intel is an industry leader in property assessment. We are dedicated to innovation across a broad range of property insurance intelligence. And through our operating brands, which are HVACI, StrikeCheck, and Donut Engineering, we're respected as the industry leader for not only our scale, but our track record of conducting expert, specialized, and accurate investigations. With HVACI, we provide the leading HVAC and refrigeration system assessments and desktop pricing reviews, not only for residential, but commercial claims nationwide. With StrikeCheck, uh, we deliver comprehensive solutions for claims with electronics and other specialty electrical items through accurate on-site assessments. Uh, we can also do desktop pricing reviews, and we also offer lightning verification reports. And finally, uh, Donut Engineering leverages the latest and best in technology and decades of experience to provide scientific insight into property losses with perils, including wind, lightning, hail, flood, water, and so much more. Uh, we're always seeking new ways to help insurance professionals who are looking to learn a little more about the items involved in claims that you're settling. You don't have to be an expert, but who doesn't feel a little bit more confident armed with a bit of knowledge, right? So to that end, we also have a robust uh, adjuster resources page, which you can find linked in the show notes as well as monthly webinars. And don't forget to sign up for our Savvy Adjuster newsletter. So this podcast is an opportunity for adjusters to hear our very knowledgeable experts chat, compare notes, and share key points about a variety of property topics. Uh, some of you listening might be familiar with us if you've ever submitted a claim assignment to us before, or maybe this podcast is your introduction to Alpine Intel. Either way, we're excited to share this episode with you. Now, as I mentioned, today's episode is focused on a topic we get a lot of requests for, which is wind damage to asphalt shingles. So just a quick disclaimer, we're going to be talking today in general engineering and insurance terms. Obviously, each property loss comes with its own set of circumstances, which is why it's so important to get an on-site assessment to make sure you have the facts for your claims. Now, let's meet our guests today, Gary Ellis and Kevin Hulesman. Welcome to you both. Thanks, Chris. Thanks. Thanks. So, uh, Gary, let's start with you. Um, tell me a little bit about your background and your experience with wind damage and roofing materials. Well, so I've been an engineer for been working in the engineering industry for over 20 years. Been with Donan um, this coming March will be 10 years with Donan. Um, that's when I really got immersed into uh, wind and roof claims and, and forensic engineering. Um, beyond that, I just have experience doing uh, construction work and uh, some hands-on experience doing roofing myself. So yeah, and just to continue with my background, I'm in the uh, upstate New York area. Um, I was the first Syracuse employee for Donate. Awesome. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, Kevin, I know you know a lot about this topic, both from your position on Alpine Intel's education team, but you have a pretty vast insurance background as well. Yeah, Chris, um, 
prior to joining Alpine, uh, almost a year now, um, I was a general contractor for a big box retailer for about 10 years um, throughout college and afterwards. So um, we sold and contracted uh, most exterior categories and roofing was our biggest and busiest one. Um, so dealt with a lot of the major manufacturers, um, several subs, um, guys doing the work, um, different styles, different systems. Um, and when I uh, left construction, I joined a major carrier on their catastrophe team. So I chased the weather around the country for five years um, for those guys. And most of the stuff that a catastrophe adjuster looks at is going to be wind and hail related. Um, so we did, you know, wind damage from coast to coast, essentially. Um, and actually, we were just chatting about this beforehand. My last uh, tour, if you will, for catastrophe duty was for uh, Hurricane Ian down in Florida. So plenty of roofs got uh, got dinged up pretty good during that storm. Excellent. So it definitely sounds like both of you are experts in this field. So, and we're, we're happy to have you here. Thank you again for taking your time today and joining uh, us. And uh, I tell you what, let's jump in. So Gary, I'll, I'll start with you. Um, the first question, it may seem like a pretty broad one, but it's a pretty important one. So what actually qualifies as wind damage? So uh, we're talking mostly uh, residential roofs, right? And asphalt shingles, that's what I'm gonna focus on, I think, in this answer. So uh, with that, we're talking about dimensional shingles and three tabs on the majority of roofs. And with three tab shingles, wind damage comes in the form of the, the tabs themselves bending and breaking, typically in a horizontal tear or fracture uh, where they overlap, you know, where, where, where the next shingle overlaps it it kind of hinges there if they're unsealed and that's where they bend and break um in in more significant windstorms tornadoes hurricanes whatever more significant events um they can come off in groups uh, sealed shingles can come off and, and tear um, and that's what you see more uh, prevalently with dimensional shingles is they'll come off in groups because they're stronger um what i call dimensional shingles uh, our listeners may call uh, architectural or uh, laminate shingles. Um, they're, they're a little more stiff because they have a, uh, an extra layer, basically. So uh, when they bend, when they tend to lift with wind, um, again, they may come off in groups. Um, I think that uh, that's the basics of, of what we call wind damage is uh, those mechanisms. So you said something uh, interesting uh, at the beginning, uh, focusing on residential. So my frame of reference for uh, shingles is just looking around my neighborhood. I can see my neighbor's house and he has shingles on, on his house. I have shingles on my house. But uh, is there a certain percentage of, or not percentage, but um, do you see shingles more in residential applications versus, say, a, a commercial building, a, a hospital or a, a strip mall, something like that? Yeah, I mean, the, res the asphalt shingles, make up the lion's share of residential roofs. Um, I used to know a number, uh, Kevin may know that number. It's It's been a while since I've done uh, those client facing uh, roofing basics. Uh, web yeah, I think four out of five homes in the US market are now gonna be asphalt shingles, asphalt product shingles. Um, there's a metric out there that says something like 16 billion square feet are shipped annually. Um, which is which is pretty insane. I mean, the average house probably is going to be in that like 
high 20s, low 30s square size. Squares are 100 square feet. So when we're talking about 25 squares or 35 squares, that's 2,500 square feet or 3,500 square feet, um, 16 billion square feet. So it, it's an insane amount of, of uh, material that's out there. Um, and they get put on every single day. So like the age of the shingle in the market is wildly variable. You can have brand new roofs. Um, and then you've got, I've seen asphalt shingled roofs that I think the oldest one that I've looked at was probably 50 or 60 years with some of those T-lock shingles um, in the Midwest. We still have some of those here in the, in New England. Uh, I'm here in Connecticut, you know, obviously Alpine's out of Charlotte, but on the CAT team, we looked at uh, roofs all over the place and, and four out of five of them, 80% is going to be asphalt shingles for residential. And what was that number again? 16 billion? Billion square feet. Yes. And that's every <laughs> single year. Um, and anybody who's in the insurance industry, you know, knows that a lot of that, probably the majority of that's going to be storm driven. Um, you know, as a contractor, we were doing, you know, more preventative, or not preventative, more um, older roof replacement um, prior to a storm or just scheduled um, upgrades type thing. And then, you know, in the insurance market, it's all reactive. Storm came through, um, tore off a whole bunch of tabs or whole sections of um, architectural shingles. And, and now we got to replace parts or all the roof. Uh, with that number, it makes me want to get into the shingle business. Uh, I would imagine it's pretty lucrative. <laughs> well, then you obviously haven't climbed a ladder with shingles. Tell me how, tell me how you feel after you do that. It sounds like Gary's I, got some experience with that, like roofing, probably one of the hardest things that most grueling things I've ever done adjusting roofs not even putting the roofs on it um Gary I'm sure you've been on some ridiculously hot and sketchy roofs as a as an engineer um you know the closest I think I've ever come to heat stroke was asphalt on an asphalt roof in San Antonio in June like it's 105 outside which means it's like 120 degrees 130 degrees on the roof so yeah it's a it's a great business to be in but uh, it takes a special kind of person to to stick with it. So you've talked me out of it, uh, Kevin. At this <laughs> point, so <laughs> yeah. well, uh, Gary mentioned something, and, and I'm I'm going to kind of flip to Kevin on this question. But as far as shingles lifting, I I, I had this it kind of popped in my head this question of why do shingles lift kind of at the corner while the remainder stay sealed, Kevin? Um, there's probably there's probably a bunch of things that are going to come into this conversation. Um, what I'll probably start with is the age condition of the shingle. Um, when a roof first goes on, the shingles typically don't lay nice and flat unless it's really, really hot out. Um, up here in New England or in the north, if you put a roof on um, like this late in the season, um, the shingles aren't going to sit flat. They're going to look curled or maybe bumpy. That might be a scenario where that is, um, particularly an older roof. Um, usually the first place that you see a wear and tear where like the seal fails is right at the edges because that takes all of the the weathering essentially. So that's where the sealant's going to let go first. Um, the other thing too is that uh, Mother Nature and UV is does a number on shingles, especially on the um, southern and southwest facing, you know, slopes and elevations on the house. So you're going to typically see that more so on those weatherward sides of the house. Um, like I said, the, the lifted corners, those are probably the two main things, whether it's a brand new or super, super old roof. 
Um, I'm not sure how in the weeds we want to get into as far as, you know, inspection techniques and people trying to lift up shingles to, to manipulate them either on a repair or during an inspection. Um, but, uh, those, those are probably the major things is going to be the, um, the wear and tear aspect of it. Gary, you probably have got a more technical explanation than that, but uh, I might defer to you on that one. Well, there's, um, one of our sources we cite um, in our reports, uh, there, there was a University of Florida study um, where they looked at a handful of roofs at random, uh, different ages, and overall they said 70% of the uh, roofs they look at had patterns of unsealed shingles. And then beyond that, they also uh, came down to a direct correlation between those unsealed patterns and age. So basically, the older the shingle gets, the more likely they are to become unsealed. And then uh, on top of that, there were installation method issues. So if, if they were installed in the vertical racking method, um, you would see um, slope-wise straight lines of unsealed corners of shingles, um, those types of things. But it, it mostly comes down to uh, whether, well, I'll list off the things that I usually cite. Is one is warehousing. It started. It starts with the uh, the shingle that you put on. If it was kept in a warehouse for too long, and uh, the sealant strips may never may never have had a chance to adhere when they're put on the roof, they may fail immediately. Um, Kevin mentioned putting on a roof in the Northeast in November. Uh, yeah, they're probably not. <clears throat> probably not going to have a chance to heat up enough to seal properly through the winter. And then they sit on the roof all winter long uh, and not adequately sealed. And then by the time it warms up enough to heat those sealing strips up, they've been on the roof so long, they're just not going to activate. Um, then again, age-related deterioration. I mean, we can talk about uh, uh, wind warranties on shingles i think that that kind of says it all as far as what the manufacturers expect to happen with their seal strips and kevin um has a uh, has had a closer hand at uh that manufacturer uh, link so he can probably speak more to those yeah i, I think the most important thing to point out when it comes to wind warranties is that they are totally separate from the other manufacturer warranty. So the manufacturer warranty will get into like, it'll say, hey, this is what, the, when you buy a shingle, you say, I need a, I'm going to get a 30 year shingle. I'm going to get a, a 50 year shingle or a lifetime shingle. Like that's, that's part of it. That's the manufacturer's warranty. And then the wind warranty is usually like a subtitle or a subheader of the actual warranty. So if it's a 30 year shingle or like a 25 year three tab, that wind warranty is probably only going to be three to five years and which is dramatically different than the rest of that shingle. But the manufacturers kind of tipping their cap there and saying, Hey, if nothing happens to this roof, it's going to be fine. But if you get wind, you know, maybe three to five years, we're, we're willing to stick our neck out for it. Um, some of the, you know, laminated architectural dimensional shingles, um, those are going to be that like 30, 50 year limited lifetime type thing. You know, you might see wind warranties from the major manufacturers, 
um, the big three, if you will. I don't want to name anybody specifically, but that's probably 10 to 15 years on a wind warranty. Um, but again, that's it's not the same thing as the manufacturer's warranty, that, that 25, 30, 50 lifetime thing. Yeah, and I, I was going to ask just as an end consumer with uh, and being a roof owner myself, um, you know, how long shingles are supposed to last. But it sounds like it really, you know, comes at that upfront, you know, um, 25, 30, you know, year. You kind of know the lifetime or, or roughly when you'll probably have to replace those based off of, you know, what they're rated as. Yeah, and, and it's going to depend a lot. There's There's so many variables. Um, that go into how long a shingle is going to last. You know, uh, a shingle that's installed in San Antonio, Texas, you know, we just mentioned that, it, they could be like the same make model manufacturer as the same, you know, shingles you can buy up in like Portland, Maine. But those shingles are not going to age or, or deteriorate remotely the same. You know, San Antonio's weather and climate is so much more hot, so much. Um, more heat involved in that versus Maine. Um, but with Maine, maybe you run into things where you've got snow and ice loads on the roof and you've got roof rakes and a whole bunch of other stuff going on. So it really, really depends. And even more granular than that, like even the same size of the like house, your, your own house are going to weather differently. I've seen roofs, um, one side faces due south and the other side faces due north. And when you're up there, they were installed at the same time, but they don't look anything alike because of heat and weathering one side the granulars are falling off of it like you don't even want to walk on it it's that scary and the other side looks almost brand new um and so it, it really just depends on uh, so it really depends on a lot of things to be uh, to be honest with you there's just a ton of variables when it comes to that yeah no it, it sounds like it that's that's pretty interesting to you have to factor in where you are in the country as well mm -hmm. and, and what the weather is typically like i'm in wisconsin i have i have snow on my roof right now so uh to your snow point um mm -hmm. yeah that can certainly affect mine a little bit more than somebody in uh texas per se so um so gary uh another question for you um and this is kind of a, a technical question i want to ask because uh, i'm kind of curious about it um is there a specific wind speed and duration that shingles should you know withstand wind before they start showing actual damage it, that's a, a loaded question i mean um when the shingles go on new you know they, they should meet a certain criteria uh, from the manufacturer your building codes through most of the country is uh, 90 mile per hour um, wind speeds up to uh, over 100 miles per hour in some coastal areas. And, um, you know, after five years on the roof, you really can't, ex that's not a, it's not a reasonable expectation when you're talking about 70% of those roofs having unsealed shingles. And that's, that's the separator with wind events uh, to me is whether the shingles are sealed or not. And when, when you get 60, 70, 80 mile per hour winds, um, that's when it separates those roofs. The ones that are well sealed may be, you know, a neighbor's house with a newer roof with well sealed shingles may fare just fine. But then the, the house next door with older unsealed shingles, you'll find those patterns. Um, you know, maybe you'll see the vertical racks or the diagonal racks of where the shingles actually come off. And it goes back to the sealant, the sealant strips. 
And you've mentioned vertical racks before, and again, I am I am a novice in here. Can you explain a little bit what a, a vertical versus a horizontal rack is as far as shingles? Yeah, so the manufacturers say don't do it. Um, it's a, or at least most of them do. And, and the National Working Contractors Association, I think they also say don't do this. It's called the vertical racking method. And some roof, roofing contractors may do this to try to save time in, in installing a roof. And the as you start, you know, you start at an E and work your way up the roof, successive courses. And it goes, you know, horizontally, you install a course and then you install the next course. But you can do that going diagonally up the roof, which is fine. That's the way they need to go on. Well, roofers want to save time, obviously. So they 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 might employ this vertical racking method where they just run one column of shingles straight up and they're only staggered uh, four or five inches, whatever the minimum, you know, I think the minimum most manufacturers say, I think four or five inches, it's it's somewhere around there. Um, so then they go back down to the eave and come back up to the next rack. They have to lift that last corner up to tuck the shingle uh, the next course up in. So there's a few things that happen. They they might miss the nail um, on the next run or put that nail in at an angle because they're having to do it um, under a shingle that they're bending. Or they ruin the seal because if you're out on a hot day and putting those shingles down, they, they might have already started to activate um, by the time they get back down there. So if they got to pull that corner up and break the seal, then it may not reseal. So gotcha. I hope that's clear. That's, that's yeah. So the the damage pattern, if it's something like that, is like almost in a dead vertical line, and it's it's you know somewhere between six inches wide damage path all straight up the roof, or you know it depending on the overlap for the manufacturer, you know might be a foot wide, but you can see it clear as day. Sometimes you can even see it from the ground, just like literally headed straight up the roof. Um, okay. You know, there's another phenomenon called zippering, um, where they appear to install the shingles correctly. You know, upon diagonals, they just keep going diagonal up the roof, up the roof, up the roof. Um, and if again, if they miss a step, or the overlap's not correct, or you know the nailing is is not great, you'll get these patterns of damage that go on a diagonal. Um, and a lot of times that's um, something usually in, in, and in my experience, it's usually a, a nailing issue too much too not enough um, or they just missed it. And you'll see that pattern streak across the roof. Again, it might be something that you can see from the ground. Um, and then as, as an investigator, sometimes you got to get up there and look at it. And once you see it in some places, you know, Typically, what I would do to try to make sure that, hey, is, is this a weather issue or is this an install issue? Weather's directional. So, like, I know that if the, let's just use it easy, if the storm was right to left, um, I should see more damage on the right side than I should on the left side. But if I'm seeing the same, like, zippering pattern on the right side, but I'm also seeing it on the, the, the left side of the house, then it's, you know, might be a system-wide issue and maybe not so much weather-related. Um, so it's all stuff to get that that's the super technical part of, you know, Gary's job and and, uh, you know, the adjuster's job is like looking past the obvious and, and trying to, you know, see if this is a weather related issue. Sure. Yeah. 
It, it, I, I like the technical stuff as well. It's it's really uh really quite interesting. So, um, Kevin, we'll stay with you. Um, in you know, you may have seen this with your your background of handling cat events and you know being out in the field doing these uh, on sites. And um, I'm just kind of curious if you see conditions uh, or have seen conditions that are claimed as wind damage that are often you know something totally different. Of course, of course, you know there. Uh, you get everything. Uh, usually, it's, you know the the um, the most innocent one is like neighboritis, where um, the neighbor next door got a roof replaced and said it was windstorm damage, and so now they're uh, they're out front of their house staring at their roof, thinking that oh I, I see something there that I don't think was there before, and they just got their roof paid for because it was wind damage then they file a claim and, and they come out there. So, you know, it could be something as simple or innocent as that. Um, it could be something super technical where the uh, manufacturer had an issue with a batch of shingles and they all have the same exact damage profile as the next one. And usually like you'll see that in batches So like, one diagonal run of shingles will have the same exact damage pattern on it. And if you look at that individual shingle, you're like, yeah, this, this could be, this could be storm damage. But if you look at it as a whole, you know, and put it in with the rest of your investigation, you're like, no, no, I'm seeing the exact same thing. Usually what I would do is they would show up sometimes as a um, horizontal streak across the three tab shingle. And I would start to see a pattern on the roof. And then I would just stick my tape measure on it essentially and show, hey, there's this exact same line on every one of these um, claim damage shingles, like one and three eighths inch from the keyway, you know, and you could show a pattern there. And um, so that's, you know, a, a, a warranty or a manufacturer defect type thing. Um, and then unfortunately there is, you know, something where you might have, we'll call it, you know, manufactured damage or man-made damage where something was done to that roof to, to modify it, to kind of mirror, um, what wind damage might look like. And there's, there's plenty of indicators of what that might be. Um, you know, you had mentioned like lifted corners before, um, that's one of the first things that you know, we see sometimes, especially on like an older, more delicate roof is, and again, can't speak to intent. Uh, maybe it was just an investigation to see what was going on with how many layers or how it was nailed. Um, but the first thing that happens is usually you start working the corner of a shingle to try to lift it and separate it from the shingle below it. Well, that shingle is so old and it's been baked, you know, for 20 years by direct sunlight and it just simply snaps off, you know, it just simply breaks off. So, um, you know, all of all of those three things from neighboritis to you know, manufacturing defect issues all the way to like physical um, man-made mechanical type damage. Um, Gary, you've probably seen a handful of those as well. Yeah, and I, I would add to that um, installation errors and problems mm -hmm. um, that come to light sometimes years, um, maybe even maybe even a decade or more down the road. Um, if there's nailing errors, um, again, as those sealant strips fail, then any nailing deficiencies come to light afterwards. Um, it's the two most important things with shingles on the roof is that they be nailed properly and that the sealant strips hold. 
So that's the nailing again is a big deal. So um, as the sealant strips fail, then they become susceptible to uplift for one by wind, but another thing is just gravity uh, on a steep roof. And if the sealant strips are failed and they're lacking nails or the nails are placed too high or the nails are overdriven, um, do I, should I explain high nails and overdriven nails? You want to get into that? Yeah, definitely. I, I'm here for it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So most, most residential roofs should be getting four nails per shingle when you install it. Now in high wind zones or 12-12 or steeper, there's certain criteria where you're going to add extra nails. But let's just talk about the typical four nails per shingle. If you put the nails in the right place, that means each shingle actually gets held onto the roof by eight nails because the the nail goes into a zone where they're overlapping, right? If you put the nail too high, you're going to miss the one below it. So then each, if all the nails are placed too high, then that means every shingle is only getting four nails instead of eight. And that can be a big deal. Um, the other thing is overdriving or, or putting them crooked. Um, if you think about the crews that are putting these roofs on, um, they're using pneumatic, they're using air guns, air nails. So if you've watched them install or listen to those guns, they, they go ridiculously fast. And it's just, though every four nails, pow, 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 pow. You know, it's just crazy fast. And you know, by doing that, some of them are probably going in crooked. That means that crooked nail, the head cuts the edge of the shingle where it's crooked. Um, if they have too much pressure on their nailer, then it puts the nail head too far down into the shingle mat and it can damage the mat. So then that weakens that hold. So that's what overdriving is. So if you have overdriven nails, high placed nails and the sealant strips fail, I've seen a lot of steep roofs where the shingles just start sliding off the roof. And then, you know, the owner may not realize it until they have a, a thunderstorm and maybe you know 40 or 50 mile per hour winds or some some marginal wind that takes a few of those off yeah and and to gary's point you you'll start to see that in patterns too where um most of the time a roofing crew doesn't have one guy up there doing it it's like an ant farm on on that so you've got multiple people using um you know one giant air compressor and you know you got the the greenhorn guy that you know, it's taking his time and getting that nail gun nice and straight and just click, 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 click. And then you got the other guy who, you know, you can't even keep up with them. They can't keep shingles fed to him fast enough on the roof. He's putting them on so fast. Um, it, the other couple things that, you know, come to mind when we talk about this, you know, roofs that have multiple layers of shingles are way more susceptible to wind damage um, because usually those, first of all, not, not really recommended. You can do it. Um, there's a lot of municipalities that will let you do like a re-roof uh, re or a shingle over, sometimes they're called, um, up to three layers, which is which crazy to me, you know, now having been on, on both sides of the business. Um, and the reason they do it is cheaper. It's just cheaper to like not remove stuff. You don't have to deal with um, the demolition of the old roof, um, any trim work or stuff like that that might get involved, especially if there's multiple layers. Um, and, and then you're just you're dealing with putting shingles on. But the, the key with that is, is that first off, like they're 
they need to be do we need to make sure that the stuff that they're putting that new shingle on is in decent shape. If you've got like hidden rotten wood underneath that with the decking or whatnot, those nails aren't going to hold on even if the pressure is set correctly. Um, the other thing too is you need longer nails. You're going through more material and that's often missed. So again, it, it might look good. You know, the, the depth of the nail might look, you know, correct for that shingle, but it's not getting enough depth in, in the underlayment of, of that, um, the, the decking of that shingle. So that's going to make that shingle far more susceptible because it's not, it's not hanging on to anything. Um, the other thing that just popped into my head too, like I'm sitting in a 200 year old house in New England and on this roof, they've got old spaced decking because at some point they had like cedar shake on this roof. And so instead of, you know, nice OSB or CDX plywood on the roof with H clips and perfectly butted to get, you know, together joints, you've got boards that are like spaced, literally spaced, um, you know, and if you read the manufacturer spec um, or the code, they're saying a lot of times, if this is anything more than like three eighths of an inch, I think is, you know, a, a lot of those, if the gaps are more than three eighths of an inch, you got to like, at a minimum, replace that section um, to make sure that you don't miss the nails. If the nails hit in one of those between spaces, it's got nothing to hang on to. And again, it might look good when it goes on the roof, but you're not going to know you have an issue until, you know, mother nature does her thing and starts taking whole sections of your roof off. Um, so, you know, I think the, if there's a second title to this one, it'd be like variables of wind claims and, and wind engineering type of thing. Cause it's just, there's so many variables that go into, you know, putting a new roof on and then adjusting it as an adjuster or, you know, creating an engineered stamp report for one. Just, all these things have to be taken into account. And, you know, depending on the claim, you might, you might want an expert opinion to, to kind of back you up there. Oh, and Chris, that's why we're here. Yeah. yeah it, it is to offer that expert, um, expert opinion uh, at Donan uh, with our engineering services. And and this is maybe a question for the both of you because you have vast experience. Uh, you know, obviously, Kevin, from being on the CAT team at your your previous uh, employer, and then Gary with your extensive um, time here at Donan, but just kind of popped into my head to ask, um, are most roofing and shingle and wind-related claims associated with typically a cat event or are there, are, are there a handful that are just kind of normal everyday, you know, claims? I just didn't know, I'm not asking so much for a, a percentage, you know, it's 80% cat, 20% just everyday stuff, but any, any sort of kind of anecdotal information you can kind of give on that? We'll start with you, Kevin. So the adjuster side of me knows that like when I was helping out local offices, the majority of the insurance claims coming in are not roofing claims. It's like a leaky toilet flange or um, the dishwasher let go or the ice maker line for their fridge is bad, like tons of water losses. Um, you'll get the occasional uh, roof claim after like a strong thunder, um, you know, summer thunderstorm or something like that. Um, but that's what the cat modeling is based off of is all these wind related and hail related events, catastrophic weather. That's where a lot of these, um, the, the roof volume comes from. So I would, yeah, if, if we had to say, I'd, I would say the majority of the roofing claims are likely from, uh, a, you know, a cat event. I think I forget which company does, you know, cat numbering, but every year, 
you know, there was 60 to 90, you know, named categorized catastrophe events in the country. Um, you know, so I forget what Ian was, I forget what Ian was, but, um, like uh, the Texas pipe freeze, uh, in Houston, you know, that was cat like 15 and 17 or 17 and 19 for that year. Um, so a lot of those, those catastrophic, uh, catastrophic storms are going to be, uh, for those roofs. those strong winds, hurricanes, tornado events. So I would say, yeah, a lot of the roofing business for insurance companies is going to be cat related, cat driven. You see the same thing, Gary, with your experience, the, the assignments that you're sent out, uh, you know, for engineering have, have been tied to some sort of cat event. Well, for, for where I am in the Northeast, um, we see less hail activity, less uh, windstorm stuff, and, and the, the roofs are less abused by uh, solar exposure in the north. You know, so Kevin was talking earlier about the, uh, the difference between a, a north facing and a south facing roof slope. Um, you know, they made organic mat shingles in the uh, 90s up until the early 2000s, and they just didn't perform. Okay, so it was a, a organic mat instead of fiberglass. And what they found was it would actually take on a little bit of water. And over time, um, they would just crumble up and fall apart. Well, I mean, they're basically all gone in the South, as far as I know. I think our engineers in the South, probably some of them probably never even seen. They don't know what an organic mat shingle is. <laughs> but Kevin can probably attest to this. I still see them on houses up here. Um, and they are really notorious for a north slope organic mat shingle might look pretty good. Then on the south slope, it just looks like a disaster. Almost looks like it caught fire because it like shrivels up, yeah. you know, yeah. pulls uh, pulls apart and, and, and shrinks and whatnot. Um, yeah. yeah. And then the fact that they're organic. I mean, there's there was a shed company in like along the East Coast here. I saw a ton of them in Virginia where like for some reason they just still bought organic shingles and any wind claim virginia is notoriously bad for for high winds they've spent a month there every single year you know adjusting wind claims and um these organic shingles yeah to you know gary's point like one side looks perfect and the other side looks like you know somebody set it on fire for for a few minutes um so yeah the the type of shingle matters matters as well yeah so my point there was is that being in the north, I think I've got a little different perspective. Most of my claims over my 10 years with Donan, um, I've looked at less roofs than some of our guys in the south, right? Just because of the type of insurance claims that come in up here. Um, not to say I haven't looked at a lot of roofs. I mean, I, you know, over 10 years and a couple hundred jobs per year. Yeah, I've seen plenty. Um, and when I, you know, I, I do cat travel too. So, I'm licensed from Maine down to Florida. And when we have major catastrophes, I'll travel to Florida to look at Ian claims, Ida claims, Irma claims, uh, going back to Matthew before. Um, so roof claims with those. I can't put a percentage on cat versus not. Yeah, I was, I was just curious. And, and um, kind of a final curiosity question it may just be for me, but I think our, our listeners will uh, find it interesting as well. Um, you know, Gary, this is both for Gary and Kevin, but Gary, we'll start with you. You said 10 years times 100. That That's a lot of inspection. Is there any specific 
engineering inspection that stands out to you as, as maybe interesting, crazy, um, out of the norm uh, that you can think of in your in your 10 years with Donan? Well, uh, plenty, um, probably easier to dip from if I think of uh, roofs, since, since we're talking roofs here. Sure. Um, you know, one interesting, we, we talked about nailing problems and, and since this focus here is when I looked at a house that was, I, I want to say it was 24 years old. It was a very large um, McMansion of a house. I can't remember how many roof slopes and how many squares were on this roof. Um, but it was a wind claim. And I got there and there was legitimately a few patches of shingles that were gone and they had a, a shutter that had blown off. They had, you know, so there were strong winds in the area. But when I got on this roof, I found every textbook nailing deficiency that you can point out. Crooked nails, missing nails, overdriven nails, and high-placed nails all over this roof. And so, you know, it, it made it really hard for the homeowner to understand. When I left site, I said, yeah, you got some wind damage shingles but you have widespread damage to this roof just from gravity and the shingles sliding off, you know, dating back to original installation errors. And, you know, I don't blame the guy for questioning me as the owner. He says, why after 24 years would this be a problem now? You know, and my response was that it's, it's the ceiling strips. It all comes down to the ceiling strips. Um, they did a terrible job installing this roof, but it held its own for over 20 years uh, because those shingles kind of acted like a membrane when when the seals were in place. But as those sealant strips failed, uh, they just started sliding in groups off the roof. And then Kevin made a point about uh, you know the green the green horn maybe doing it right, and if, if you guys not, I think on that roof what I decided was there was one garage roof slope where all the nails look beautiful and the shingles look fine. And I think that's where maybe the supervisor went up and said, listen, guys, here's how you do it. And he put the nails into that. Then all the rest of it, you know, that the supervisor took off and left them be, and then the rest of it was a circus. Um, but it, it was an interesting job just in the 20, you know, over 20 years. And then all this happens all at once. It's kind of crazy. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Kevin, how, how about yourself, you know, with your, your um, in-field, um, you know, uh, assessments and inspections that you, uh, you've done over your, your career, any, any stand out to you as, uh, as interest, more interesting than others? Well, the, you know, there's, there's always like a, a bunch of stories for every like quote unquote tour that you go on. You're like, oh, I'm, I'm going to remember this guy forever or, or uh, I'll remember that contractor forever, that kind of thing. Um there's the ones that stand out specifically for wind. There was a neighborhood, you know, that's, that's another thing too. Again, neighboritis, everybody's seeing, you know, like once you see one yard sign in the front yard of somebody else, you can count that all the neighbors around there are going to be calling too. Um, and so I think it was Midlothian, I think was the town name in, in um, outside of Richmond, maybe I, I could be getting that wrong, but I went there and I knew that I had, uh, you know, two cl two claims in the same neighborhood, which is not uncommon because again, storm intensity is gonna, you know, not hit one house potentially in the neighborhood. It's gonna be the whole thing. Well, the other thing too is all those houses were built about the same time, so all the roofs were about the same age. So I get out there, 
and I do the first two inspections. Like I find um, wind damage to both houses and it's my favorite day in the world. I get to buy roofs. I'm like Oprah with roofs, just buying everything, which is great. I loved, I love paying for stuff because it made my job easy. But the kicker with that was after the second one, I had somebody driving down the street and be like, oh, I see you're from this carrier. Like, I think you're coming to my house next week. And I was like, I, I don't have anything else in this area. Well, it turns out there was like, 10 or 15 claims for this one carrier in that one neighborhood. We're not talking about a lot of houses, maybe like 50 or 60. Like they had roughly 20 to 25% of the homes insured in this neighborhood. And so um, me and another adjuster just said, hey, anybody with claims in this neighborhood, just send them to us. And we ended up spending almost a week there um, adjusting all of those houses uh, in that in that area and following up with the contractors and whatnot. So uh, I don't think I've ever done that many adjustments in the same neighborhood before to that point. Um, and then the other one that sticks out, you know, it's are the ones that give you grief or, or heartburn, you know, and I had one, um, I don't want to pick on Virginia, but it was Virginia. And uh, the, I had, was fortunate enough to have access to a drone. So, you know, not only was I doing, you know, on roof inspections, but I was using a drone to inspect the stuff that, uh, um, you know, you couldn't physically get a ladder to. Um, and so, you know, I arrived, did my inspection, the roofer came out, um, and, uh, you know, he was up there after the fact, and unfortunately he was up there damaging the roof and, you know, who's to say if he was doing it on purpose or not. Um, but, you know, uh, the man-made damage is a real thing. And, you know, fortunately for, for me and the, the homeowners that somebody was witness to it. Um, but, you know, that goes on a whole nother rabbit hole of, you know, in, uh, investigation services and department of insurance, um, you know, so you know, I hope it worked out for, her. you know, I wasn't part of the backside, but you know, it, the, those people are out there, which is why it's important to, uh, to do a very, very thorough investigation and, and tie your whole claim together, not just any one piece of evidence to hang your hat on. Sure. Well, very interesting stuff, guys. And, and Gary, Kevin, I, I think I speak for not only myself, but everybody listening today. That was extremely uh, informative information you shared with us today. And and thanks again to the, the both of you for being here with us. And, and obviously, thanks for everyone for listening. You can actually look for a mini episode recapping some of the most uh, important points we covered here today and exploring five indicators of wind damage that aren't on the roof. And don't forget, as always, to subscribe to this podcast as well to make sure you never miss an episode. And if you have any property claims that need assessments, head over to our website, alpineintel.com to submit an assignment or just to get more details about how our suite of services can bring you the answers you need to feel confident about your settlement decisions. You'll also find additional information and resources in our show notes. Thanks again for joining us today and we'll see you next time.